You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Elizabeth, and I work here at Third in the area of parish life. And if you've been with us, then you know that we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Mark that we're calling The Way of Jesus. And over the last several weeks, we've seen, Jesus, we've seen Mark gradually revealing who Jesus is, what are his ways, and inviting us to, jo- to join in the way of Jesus. So this week, we're going to be looking at the really familiar story of Jesus calming the storm. And I'm going to pray for us before we hear our scripture read by Kathleen Mills. Let's pray. Send your Holy Spirit, gracious God, as the word is read and preached, so that it may be received with joy and that we may respond in faith and in trust. Amen. A reading from the fourth chapter of Mark, verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wanna know who here likes to play in the waves in the ocean? Anybody like to play in the ocean? A lot of us. (laughs) Um, I love to play in the waves in the ocean. I have for as long as I can remember. And I love to body surf. I love the feeling of like skimming across the surface of the water. I just think that that's the greatest feeling. And I also love the feeling of diving underneath a wave and the wave going over you. I love that feeling too. I just think it's so cool. You know what is not great about playing uh, in the waves in the ocean though is I wonder if any of you all have, have felt this before or experienced this before. When you dive under a wave... Uh, thinking that you have skillfully and gracefully avoided a pounding, and you come up on the other side for a breath, and before you can clear your eyes out, a wave that you didn't see just smacks you right in the face. Anybody felt that before? And, like, your nose is all full of water. It's terrible, right? Well, I wonder if the last few years have felt a little bit like that for any of you. (laughs) Maybe you felt like you've narrowly avoided one wave just to come up for breath and another one smacks you in the face. Wave after crashing wave. 
Does that feel familiar to you? Maybe, maybe it's been the waves of the pandemic, right? When you think that we're done, another one comes and smacks us in the face. Or maybe it's just the sheer amount of illness and death that's around us right now, the waves of grief over and over again. The racial unrest and the deep division in our society between our families, within our friends, uh, financial ups and downs, kids in and out of school, no hope of a dependable routine these days. Even here at our own church, we have suffered wave after crashing wave. So I want to invite you to consider what particular set of circumstances in your life right now feel, feels like a storm. What particular set of circumstances feels like the waves are crashing so hard that they're coming up inside your boat? And where is God in the midst of it? That's a question that Mark asks us to consider today. Where is Mark, where is God in the midst of our storms? When wave after wave is crashing into our boat, threatening to drown us, does he care? And does he have the power to do anything about it? So let's take a look at the story, and we're going to consider the power of God in our storms. So um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've seen that Jesus has been doing all of these miracles and, and all of these provocative things, right? And so because of that, there's this massive crowd that followed Jesus out of Galilee into the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where we find him today. He's just spent the whole day preaching to this massive crowd. And the crowd was so big that he actually had to get in a boat a little bit off the shore to get some distance from the crowd so that they could all hear him. So he's been preaching all day. I get tired after preaching twice, need to take a little nap. I don't know what it, likes, what it feels like to preach all day, but I know he was tired. And at the end of the day, he says, it's time to go back home to Capernaum. Let's go back across the lake. And so his disciples They all get into the boat with him, and they go across the lake, and he's tuckered out. So he takes a nap in the bottom of the boat. And all of a sudden, a terrible storm comes up. Remember, a lot of his disciples are fishermen. They they grew up on this lake. They grew up, and, and they make a living on this lake. They're used to the weather patterns. They're used to the kinds of storms that are typical on the lake. And they more or less know what to do. But, but this storm was really different. This storm was so severe, the waves were breaking over into the boat, starting to fill the boat up with water, and so severe that these experienced fishermen thought that they were going to die. So the storm is getting worse and worse, and Jesus remains asleep, of all things, in the bottom of the boat. And the disciples wake him up, and they ask him this really piercing question. They say, don't you care, Jesus, that we're going to drown? You know, sometimes I think of the disciples like the comic relief of the Gospels. They're always, like, doing these silly things, asking these silly questions, putting their foot in their mouth. And and a lot of times when you hear the questions that they ask, you kind of roll your eyes at them, right? But, But this question really hits home for me. And I wonder if it does for you too. 
Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know, fear comes when we recognize just how little we have, little control we have over the world. And, and the, these fishermen, they were in this boat, and the storm started to get bad, and they, they knew what to do. They had learned the tricks of the trade. But there came a time when the storm was so severe that they recognized that they were out of control. The storm had control over them. They did not have control over the storm. And that's when the fear came. Um, You might have heard of this. Each year, Chapman University does a survey to find out the top 10 fears of American adults that year. Um, And they publish the results every year. So um, do you want to hear the results from 2021? It's going to be fun. All right. So top 10 fears of American results starting with, of American adults starting with number 10, biological warfare, number nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes, number eight, cyber terrorism, number seven, economic or financial collapse, number six, a pandemic, number five, widespread civil unrest, number four, people I love becoming seriously ill, number three, a loved one contracting COVID-19, number two, people I love dying, And coming in at number one, corrupt government officials. Told you that would be fun. (laughs) But you know what each one of these fears has in common, and in common with all of the other fears that has ever been on this list, is that they happen to us. Just like this storm that came up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, the disciples, these fishermen, they weren't in control anymore. We might have developed some strategies to keep some, the worst of these events at bay, like, I don't know, maybe you're a prepper and you have like a stockpile in your basement or something like that. that that'll keep things at bay for a little bit. But ultimately, we don't have control over these things. That's part of what has been so difficult about the last few years, is that we've all realized what has always been true that our life can be completely disrupted in an instant, right? Maybe you thought that your business had made it through the worst of the pandemic, and then all of a sudden, all of your inventory gets stuck on a cargo ship in New Orleans. Or maybe you thought that you had finally gotten control of a schedule that was somewhat like normal, and preschool calls again, and there's been another exposure. A storm can take jobs away, can take financial security away, can take homes away, safety away. A storm can take people away, can take away what we had imagined for our future. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And what does Jesus do in response to this question? Well, he gets up out of the bottom of the boat, he wakes up, he stands on the edge of the boat, and he speaks. All he does is speak. He doesn't wave a magic wand like we might see in you know, a fantasy novel like Harry Potter. He doesn't um, call on the power of the god of the sea like we might see in you know, the old epics like the Odyssey. All he does is speak 
straight to the storm. And the storm stops, and the sea is calm. He rebukes this natural disaster like you would rebuke an unruly child. He says, be quiet, stop, go to your room, sit still. And the storm does it, <laughs> like a child, some children. <laughs> and you know, the language that Mark records here is it's the same language that Jesus uses when, uh, in an exorcism, when he's casting out demons. That's kind of interesting, right? Because we don't normally think of natural disasters as being demon-possessed. But I think that Mark's original readers would have, would have picked up on what's going on here and the significance of it. Because, you see, in the ancient Near East, and especially for the Israelites, who were not seafaring people, seas and storms were these powerful symbols of destruction and chaos and unbounded power and evil. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like, kids, I wonder if you've ever been in the water, any water, and you feel something brush against your leg. Ugh. It's terrible, right? <laughs> we, do, we don't have control over what's in the water. Oceans and rivers and lakes, they're, they're dark, and we don't know what's under there. And you can't see what's coming. And, and when we're in the water, other creatures and other forces, they, they have the upper hand on us, right? Plus, the sea is an unstoppable force. If you have ever had a home on the water, like a river house or a beach house, then you know how much it costs to keep the sea at bay, right? Um, a seawall or a jetty or something like that, it, if the seas are rising, it might keep the sea at bay for a couple years or maybe even a couple decades. But if the sea is rising, all you can do is move out of its way. The sea always wins, right? And we see this theme of the sea representing chaos and evil and destruction. We see it all throughout the Bible. Think of Genesis 1 when there was a formless void, this sort of pre-creation watery chaos before God ordered creation. And then in Genesis 9, God brings destruction on the earth through a flood. Then later, the Israelites are delivered through the Red Sea and across the River Jordan. And then at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, it says that after God redeems all things, there will no longer be NEC. Well, that's kind of disappointing to me because I really like the ocean. Does that mean that God just doesn't like the ocean? I, I don't think that that's what it means. I think that it says that because in the imagination of the original readers, the sea represented just unbounded chaos and evil. Uh, N.T. Wright says that the sea represents all that is threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people and God's purposes. So when Jesus speaks to the sea, like in the same way that he would speak to a demon, it's a really powerful image. What it's saying is that he is able to bring order from chaos, salvation from destruction, deliverance from evil. And 
you know, when Mark is writing this gospel, he is recounting eyewitness testimony. He's telling us about real events, but he's also interpreting those events theologically. He's telling us what happened, but he's also telling us what it means, even for us today. And what this story says about Jesus is that this isn't just any kind of power that Jesus has. This is the power of the creator God of the universe. Jesus does here what only God can do. What Mark wants us to see is that Jesus is God incarnate. Uh, And we've been seeing this for a few weeks now. Uh, Two weeks ago, um, Jesus healed, uh, healed the man who was born paralyzed, but before he healed him, he forgave his sins. He did something that only God could do. And then last week, uh, Mark showed us that Jesus isn't just someone who instructs us about rest or instructs us how to rest. Jesus is rest himself. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, something that only God can be. And here Mark is showing us again that Jesus doesn't just have power or know how to wield power or know how to access power. Jesus is power itself. And what's more, and this is what I think is so exciting about this passage, is that something new is happening here. Jesus isn't only delivering his disciples through this one storm. He's also creating order where there was chaos. He's bringing peace. He's bringing shalom where there's destruction. He's recreating this broken world. I said that um, Jesus had been preaching on the shore of this lake for the whole day. And if you look back at the beginning of chapter 4, then you'll see what he was preaching on. He's spent the whole day preaching in parables about the kingdom of God. He's been trying to describe to people what the kingdom of God is like and what it's going to be like when it comes. And, And he says, the kingdom is like a seed, Before you can see anything happening on the surface, it's already growing deep down under the soil. He says the kingdom is like a lamp, that when you uncover it, light shines on everything that it can touch. And he says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's tiny. You you can't really even see it. But once it starts growing, you can't stop it. And eventually, it it becomes the biggest plant in the garden, so big that it provides shade to the things around it, and it provides shelter to many living creatures. And throughout all of these parables, Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God is here. It has come. The lamp has been uncovered. The light is shining. Something is growing. Something new is happening this unstoppable force of renewal. It's been put in motion, and Jesus is the one who's come to do it. Jesus is the one, he's the Messiah, who's come to usher in that magnificent, unstoppable, recreating force in the whole world. So here we are just a few hours later, and Jesus gives his disciples this physical, tangible experience of what he's been painting in word pictures. He says, the kingdom is here. This recreating, redeeming, restoring work, it's begun. And Jesus is the one who's brought it. Jesus is the one who's doing it. So Jesus has just miraculously rescued the disciples 
And you'd think that they'd be ecstatic, right? But something interesting happens. It's, it's kind of like the penny drops. And they realize, you know, they were afraid when they thought that they were going to die, when they thought that Jesus didn't care or maybe that he didn't have um, the power to do anything about the storm that they were in. And then when they saw the power that he did have, they were terrified. They went from afraid to terrified. They're like, who is this dude? And he's in our boat and we can't get out. He's here with us. (laughs) There's this really great quote from a commentator named James Edwards who says that the disciples are better, better able to handle the possibility of their own death than the possibility of the presence of God among them. It's really interesting, isn't it? Here's the thing. If God really is in our midst, if he really is as powerful as he's demonstrated himself to be here, what do we do with that? What does that mean for our storms? Well, I want to propose that there are two invitations that God's power make to us here in this story. First, there's an invitation to recognize the presence of Jesus in our storms. And second, there's an invitation to rest with Jesus through our storms. Jesus sees the terror of the disciples. He sees their confusion. And he asks them, why were you so afraid? I have to be honest, I find this question a little bit offensive. I'm like, I want to come to their defense and say, come on, man. Like, they, 30 seconds ago, thought they were going to die. And then they find out that this guy who they're stuck in a boat with can do unimaginable things. I feel like fear is kind of a rational response to the situation, right? So why does Jesus challenge their fear? I want you to think of a time when you were a kid and you were really scared. Maybe like you woke up in the middle of the night with, from a nightmare, um, or you had to do something that was, that was really scary, like get up on a stage and, and say something in a play or something like that. Um, what did you do when you felt that fear? Did you like uh, get out a journal and start processing your thoughts to put them in logical order so that, um, you know, they would make sense, and then you would realize you don't actually need to be afraid? Probably not. I would bet that you probably ran to a parent or a teacher or someone who you thought had control over the thing that made you afraid. When we're afraid, we look to someone that has more power than the thing of which we're afraid. You know, power, power is an interesting thing. Because when something or someone that is out of our control has power, like a storm, it's really terrifying, right? But when someone or something who is at our defense has power, that power is really comforting. And so the question is, is the power for me or against me? I wonder if there's a part, if there was a part of the disciples who, who thought, wait a second, Jesus has all this power, we've just seen it, and he was in the boat with us this whole time. Why did the storm happen at all? 
I wonder if some of you have thought that before, right? Um, there's, there's a fear that God might not have enough power to save you from the storm. That's, that's one kind of fear. There's another kind of fear that you think he probably does, but you wonder if he will use it for your benefit. Or even worse, you wonder if he might use it against you. So Jesus' question to the disciples, why were you afraid? It's this reminder to them that that's a false dichotomy. That's, that's, the premise is wrong. The presence of the storm doesn't negate the power of my love for you, he says. I do have power over every storm, and I allow the people that I love to go through storms. But I am that refuge that you seek, even while the storm rages around you. Jesus is saying here that the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, oftentimes is through the storm rather than around it. That the presence of the storm isn't a sign of the absence of God's power or of God's love. I think this, this makes me think of this quote that I'm sure a lot of you remember from um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the little children, they've been hearing about Aslan, this, this creature that's going to come save them, rescue them, and at one point they learn that this creature, Aslan, is a lion, and they're scared because lions are scary. And so they ask, well, is he quite safe? And their friend the beaver says, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. He's the king. And friends, God's power is not in our control. He lets things happen that we don't understand. And he works in ways that oftentimes don't make sense to us, that are not, it's not according to our plans. But unlike the storm, God loves you. God loves me. The only person who has power over every storm in my life loves me, sees me, is with me. How do we know that this is true, friends? How do we know that this is true? Jesus proved that he would go to any length for the people that he loved. As he was thrown into the most terrible sea of all, he was drowned in the darkness and terrible chaos of evil and death. And then he proved that he had power over the ultimate storm, over death itself, when he rose from the grave. He looked into the terrible storm of death and he said, quiet, be still. He may not be safe, but he's good, and he's the king. So this first invitation is to recognize God's presence in the storm. And to remember that the presence of the storm is not a sign that God is not powerful and that he does not love you. The second invitation is to rest with Jesus in the storm. So, you know, one really interesting thing about this story, about the way Mark tells it in particular, is, is how related it is to the story of Jonah. And I think that Mark is doing this on purpose. So 
In both cases, Jonah and Jesus are both asleep in the bottom of a boat during a hurricane. And in both cases, the crew and the people who are around them are astounded. They're like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, get up. Don't you care? And there, you know, there are only two reasons why someone would be asleep in a boat during a hurricane. The first is uh, sleep to avoid. Anybody know that kind of sleep? <laughs> um, the second is because you have complete control over the storm. And, you know, the narrator in the Jonah story is really critical of of Jonah for being asleep. It's clear that his sleeping was a lack of faith. It was that first kind of sleeping. But there's no condemnation of Jesus for sleeping. His resting is appropriate. Friends, our fears are often justified. This world is not safe for humans. I don't have to prove this to you, right? There is chaos and destruction and evil all around us. We see it every day. And it is natural for us to look for refuge, just as natural as for a child to run to a parent when they're scared. Jesus' question to the disciples, why are you afraid? It doesn't negate this reality. It doesn't say you shouldn't be looking for refuge. What is question is probing, what his question is trying to say is, you have a place to run. You have that refuge. It's me, he says. Several years ago, I was in a really stormy season, um, and it did feel like there were waves of all different kinds crashing against me. Um, I remember telling someone at the time that it felt like um, when you're underwater and you're coming up for air, and then you realize that the surface is further away than you thought it was. Um, it, felt like, it felt like someone or something was like mining inside of me deeper levels of sorrow. I wonder if any of you have ever felt that. And all of my normal strategies, they weren't working, and I couldn't get myself to God. But in the midst of that dark season, Remarkably, and, and in his grace, Jesus came to me. I didn't know how I would get to the other side of that storm, and I, I definitely didn't want to be in it. Um, but Jesus' presence with me in that storm, it changed the storm. It meant that I didn't have to find a way to get to the other side, because I realized, I experienced that there was more rest, more refuge, more comfort, more power being with Jesus in the storm than there would be being on the land by myself. And friends, that was just this like tiny mustard seed sized glimpse of recreation in my soul re-knitting back together something that had been torn apart by the fall. So Mark's question to us, what will we do when we understand that God is in our midst? Well, I think that one way that we can answer that is to rest with Jesus. What if Jesus doesn't stand up 
and calm the storm that's threatening you right now? What if he doesn't give you the strength to row yourself to the other side? What if instead he invites you to come down into the bottom of the boat and rest with him? Now, I know that this is not how he responds to every storm. We have plenty of examples in the Gospels and in the whole life of Israel and and here in the life of our church of Jesus calming storms in miraculous ways. But to be with Jesus in the middle of a storm, that's a good place to be. There's rest there. Because the only safe place to rest in the middle of a storm is with the only one who has power over that storm and who loves you. I want to close with this passage um, from Isaiah that I really love. I grew up singing this in a song, and I wonder if some of you sang it as well. Um, But this passage has been such a comfort to me when I've been in the middle of storms that don't seem to be clearing up. It says, But now this is what the Lord says. He He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Friends, he doesn't promise that we won't pass through the waters or that the rivers won't rise up around us or that we won't walk through the flames. But the God who formed us and who loves us and who has power over every storm, we are his. And there's rest in that. Let's pray. Jesus, Teach us to know what it means to rest with you while the storm rages around us, God. Teach us what it means to find strength in your power, even when we don't have strength ourselves. God, be near to us as we call out to you. We pray, God, that you would be with us in the boat as the waves crash around. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.